You're listening to the AI in Business podcast, and this is day four of our five-part series. We're publishing one episode every weekday this week on the topic of culture change for AI adoption in the enterprise. We've heard from some amazing guests this week. This was my birthday week, and so I wanted to do something special, pull together some great experts, and I'm grateful for the folks that we've been able to rope into this series. We kicked off with Dr. Seth Dobrin, who is the Chief AI Officer for all of IBM, the global organization, who gave us some excellent advice. We've had Carlos Escapa from Facebook. We recently had a leader from SAP. Today, we go back to the world of startups, and we're talking today with Nick Elprin of Domino Data Labs. When I first met Nick, who is the CEO of Domino, uh, they had raised close to nothing. We met in person at a coffee shop in San Francisco somewhere when I lived in Mountain View, chatted for a little while. Uh, And now, just a few years later, Domino has raised nearly a quarter billion dollars to bring their ML apps platform to some of the largest enterprises in the world, from Lockheed Martin to Bayer to Allstate uh, and other global firms. As an ML ops platform, Domino is focused not just on a single AI application, but on the underlying foundation for artificial intelligence within an enterprise, which surely involves retained learning about our algorithms, which surely involves an improvement in our data infrastructure, and these are all things that Domino's product deals with, but also involves culture change. And in my interview with Nick, he broke down some of the model for AI maturity that Domino uses when they assess enterprises, and I thought that this would be a critical piece to the puzzle in this series on AI culture change. What's interesting about Nick's perspective is that certainly he's leading a startup company, and a fast-growing one at that, but he's also working within large established legacy enterprises, and this perspective on maturity is one that I think many of our listeners should be able to use to diagnose where they are with their company. Culture is part of the mix. There's other elements that Nick brings up, but all of it is gold, and if you're thinking about where you stand when it comes to AI readiness, I hope that this episode will be more than helpful. It's excellent to be able to catch up with Nick after many, many years of meeting in that first coffee shop somewhere in the center of San Francisco and seeing just how fast Domino has grown. And it's great to be able to have him as part of this little series on my birthday week uh, to drive some extra value for our listeners with an episode every day this week. So Nick is the second to last episode in this AI culture change series. We have a leader from Intel who is coming up in tomorrow's episode on Friday, but I hope you'll enjoy these insights from Nick. Without further ado, Let's go ahead and fly right in. This is Nick Elprin, the CEO of Domino Data Lab here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Nick, I'm glad we're able to be back in touch here now that I've moved back to the East Coast and you're still out in the Bay Area. I know uh, today we've got a couple topics to touch on, and the first of which is really the phases of AI maturity within companies, you know, a lot of the firms that are getting started in the space, they were not born with, you know, data in their DNA, but they're moving in that direction. When you think about, you know, distinct kind of phases along maturity that you've seen enterprises in, how do you break those out? How do you make sense of that? Yeah. Well, so I'll, I'll riff, riff for a little bit here. Um, cool. It's, it's, it's certainly the transition points are blurry. You know, it is definitely, it is a spectrum as much as there are, yeah. it's not so yeah, much yeah. there are discrete phases, but for sure, for I sure. think, to start at one end of the spectrum, you know, I'd say this: the companies kind of before they begin their journey really are still in the data-driven phase or the you know kind of the business intelligence, business analytics phase. Where it's if you talk to these companies, what they mean by analytics is like well, dashboards and BI and Tableau and things like that. And 
you know, one of the things that I like to talk a lot about is the the shift in mindset from going to data driven to model driven. Like everyone, you everyone used to talk about how companies need to be data driven, and from our perspective, if you're making decisions based on data, that you're looking at what happened in the past. So you're looking you're looking backwards in time. You're looking at your dashboards. That's all fine, but the the power of ML, the power of data science, the power of AI is to be forward looking and predictive. And and you know the thing that really embodies that is this notion of building a model and a model can automate a decision. It can tell you what's going to happen. So at a really high level, I would say the journey we're talking about here, the way we see it is companies going from data driven to model driven. So let's kind of double click there. Oh, did you want to say something, Dan? Yeah, no, no, sure, sure. Dive in, dive in. Let's hit it. So, you know, I think the, the first part of that journey starts with um, identifying, it's like the, the prototyping phase or identifying the potential for ROI. And often this happens bottoms up, you know, there are, there are one or two folks who have the technical skill set and the abilities to do this kind of work, to do data science, to do ML. And they have enough air cover in an organization to have the space to go do some investigation, exploration. And they'll, um, through lightweight proof of concepts or, or little projects, they'll identify these opportunities for more predictive modeling to make a big impact in the business. And a critical requirement at this phase of the journey is, or I'd say from that prototyping phase to the next phase is getting executive sponsorship and buy-in. So if, if that proof of concept, ROI, proof of ROI potential gets the interest and, and support of, of the executive layer, then they can, they can build that out to get you know, one, one win under their belt. And look, hey, look, we built this model. Here's the impact it's having. Wow, that's really exciting. Then you go into the, the scale phase. And you know, the scale phase basically is, is adding more people who are doing that work and expanding the number of projects you're doing and figuring out more opportunities for data science to impact different parts of the business. And that's kind of the awkward adolescent teenage phase, because then you start to get people bumping around and you have some projects that fail and don't work out. And then, you know, I think what's, again, what's really critical in that phase is having the executive sponsorship and vision and strategic commitment to see this effort through and keep investing in it, because there are going to be failures, and there are going to be setbacks. You know, I, along the way here, other things that tend to go wrong or, or be challenges are how do you get these data science folks to integrate more closely with the business stakeholders. So you can't have data scientists be totally off on an island on a silo not. on their own. Definitely island. not, yep. Because if we now, again, talk about this spectrum and, and let's kind of zoom out and go all the way to the end of the spectrum and talk about like a humming, really mature organization. In that state, you've got this whole system operating at scale. So you've got hundreds of data scientists and they're building hundreds of models. And those models are being because they're driving critical business processes, they're being um, integrated with all the rest of the processes and systems around the business. So how these models get deployed into production is all part of standard governed, governed workflows and approval and infrastructure processes. How new data science projects get prioritized is all tightly integrated with business goals. You know, like one of the things that we see, if we contrast an immature versus a mature organization, let's talk about how, how ML projects get prioritized. In an immature organization, projects start with the data. So for example, we have this data set, hey, what can we do with it? Oh, look, if we, if we cluster it this way, or if we group it this way, or if we run this auto ML technique on it, look at what pops out. And in, in mature organizations, projects come about the other direction. They start with the business goals. What's the, what's the business goal? What's the business strategy we're, we're trying to drive? What's the KPI we're trying to move? Therefore, what's the hypothesis we have about how data science could help? Therefore, what data do we need to go get? 
you bring up a number of important elements. And one of the reasons that you mentioned, you know, the mature companies can do that, they can start with a business goal. Well, it's, it's because we have enough AI fluency with functional business leaders to actually know how to connect the dots between this is an AI solvable problem, right? Like they at least have a tertiary understanding of what kind of data we have, a tertiary understanding of where ML could be applied, a tertiary understanding of where ML is already in use and, and what that might mean in terms of what we can do in the future. Well, in a firm that's legacy, we don't even know what those ideas are. So we come up with those popcorn projects of like, oh, could the data do this? That'd be fun. But it's not as correlated to something real deal because we just don't get it. Right. Well, there's a lot of truth to that for sure. Let me add one more layer of, of um, maturity to what you're describing, though. I would say in the most mature organizations, and so in the large, the latest stages of, of maturation for enterprises here, there's such close partnership between business and data science that the business is engaging data science for help, even if they aren't sure that ML or data science can, can be helpful. So I'm hearing more analytics leaders talk about conditioning their business counterparts to have a broader perspective of what they're calling the art of the possible. The problem they're trying to solve is like, hey, business stakeholder, don't think that you know what data science can help you with. Don't hold back on coming to us with a problem you've got because you think it's not a data science problem. You don't know what could be a data science problem. There's a lot more we can do to help than you might be imagining. Yep, yep. So in, engage us, engage, how do we get the business and data science to collaborate on, let's solve the ultimate business problem, rather than pre-filtering out challenges because you think, oh, this isn't an ML problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's a super important distinction. I appreciate that. And, and having the osmosis of subject matter expertise to data science team and data science team to subject matter experts um, just as a breathing part of how we're thinking through building strategy, executing on projects means we have so many more touches, so much more osmosis, everybody's getting more capable. And now we're, we're more, you know, we're more mature just by doing so. It seemed like Nick, and, and I just want to touch in on something you've been bringing up, which is really helpful. A couple elements, you know, we could, we could probably break out 50, but I'll break out three. One was analytics. You said, well, you know, they're kind of data driven, meaning they're looking at dashboards. There's obviously a gradient of of that, you know, in the enterprise, right? There, there's some parts of, you know, some big insurance firm that might be pretty modern. There might be some parts where it's still yellow pads, right? So, so we have the gradients of underlying just analytics writ large, old school BI. Then we have the gradient of, you know, how many of those AI opportunity finders and data scientists, you know, people that can like find and kind of execute. So that, that very tight, like super AI specific skill. Then there's AI aware, AI able functional leaders, which is sort of like people that might not be thinking about AI all day. They're, they just get AI, they interact with AI, but they're looking to get their job done. So it almost feels like all three of these things could mature at, at sort of different speeds. But I'd be interested to get a sense of if one generally comes before the others, you guys get to look inside of a lot of companies, you know, and, and seeing kind of what elements grow first, grow second, grow third to bring them towards a greater maturity. What, how do you see that play out? Well, that that middle group you described is usually the the vanguard or the you know the tip of the spear. Yep. And I think then what we see is like, yeah, once that group starts to prove value, then the two other groups you described kind of move in parallel. I think there's there's an effort to develop data science fluency and, and ML fluency among the the leadership and middle management and even upwards to executive leadership. And at the same time, those those more traditional analytics folks who've been doing the dashboards. They're really interested in upskilling and growing and developing and, and up-leveling their skill sets. So they're um, teaching themselves more modern techniques, and they're interested in building more of the, the, next, the next generation of advanced analytics. 
Got it. Yeah. And, and there's this really interesting, you know, kind of problem that I think about, you know, half of our interviews, let's say, you know, we'll interview head of AI at Slack or Square. And these are the firms that you're talking about where business and AI are all the same language. You know, people aren't, there's not some giant, you know, disconjointed way of thinking about like, ooh, that's the wizard stuff over there. It's sort of part of the product and people kind of get it. And then there's, you know, a Wells Fargo, right, where it's going to be a, quite a long time until we get all the way to, to where you and I are, are talking about. When some of the folks who use you guys are screaming edge Silicon Valley folks, some of them are not. When you think about how the legacy folks can pull those three factors or maybe other factors forward into maturity, even though they weren't born with this stuff, again, at, at kind of the DNA level, are there things you've seen work better or worse to sort of get ourselves close to that ideal osmosis place? Yeah, I mean, there are lots and lots of things. And a, a lot of it is sort of generic organizational transformation kind of stuff, right? It, it all starts with executive sponsorship and executive leadership and commitment. If folks don't have a sense it's important to the strategy of the company and the leaders of the company, it's just not, it's not going to go anywhere. You know, I think then from an or, there are questions of org design where I think, you know, we, we generally see more success in the beginning phases of a journey where data science practitioners, ML practitioners are embedded as closely as possible to the business, the parts of the business whose problems they're trying to solve. So ideally embedded in, in, in business departments. As the maturity builds, those groups can be factored out into maybe more of a shared analytics function or a center of excellence or something like that. But in the beginning, so aligning the goals of the data scientists with the business outcomes they're trying to affect is really critical. And then from a, I mean, so I like to think of people process technology, right? So you kind of talked about people and organization stuff. From a technology perspective, creating agility for data scientists in terms of the tools and infrastructure they can use, especially early in the journey, is critical. Because a lot of, a lot of companies, especially big enterprises, have IT organizations that have evolved to um, almost to limit flexibility, right? If you're a traditional IT or security organization, your goal is hey, we don't want to bring in new stuff. We want to have a set of standards. We don't want to change them because standards create safety and security. And if you're early in your data science journey, you need to be able to experiment. You need to be able to try GPUs. You need to be able to try out the open source Python packages. You need to be able to try the latest trendy deep learning you know, technology. And so finding a way to empower data scientists with agility to use different hardware and software is really critical to letting them experiment so they can prove value rapidly. Those are a couple of things I'd say, sort of executive sponsorship and commitment align early on, align the data scientists with the business outcomes, and then empower the data scientists with lots of, of agility to use the hardware, software, compute that they need to experiment. And ensuring that in addition to, you know, the neatest, latest, fancy Python thing that somebody at Berkeley published, also getting them, you know, in the rooms with the subject matter experts and functional leaders in the spaces where they're trying to solve problems. So access to the tools, but also you know, access to the people, right? We've, uh, you know, you hear about, right, yeah. you hear about some big financial services firm hiring a bunch of PhDs out of Carnegie Mellon, and they kind of hang out in their own room and do their own right, thing. Right. And, you know, we, we don't give them, we don't have people that can speak, like, let's say, 4% of their language, who can actually start to translate and breathe business problems into their, their life as well. What was the other lens you were interested in there? Well, I was going to say, um, you know, if I just jump back to the question you asked at the beginning about the stages of, of yeah, maturity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so so one thing that my about a few years ago, we published a white paper we we called the data science maturity model, and we created a framework for this. And it has it has five different pillars of maturity, so different dimensions along which companies mature. And 
each of those pillars has different stages. So it's not as simple as just, hey, you know, four four stages overall. But but I wanted to just tell you the different pillars because that's a useful lens on this. Cool, cool, yeah. Think of these as independent dimensions along which companies can mature in their in their data science practice. So the first is around how structured is the process that data scientists are using when they develop models. Structured process is one. And you can imagine that going from totally ad hoc to you know, super codified the way um, advanced engineering teams have an, a development methodology. The next is around compounding of knowledge, discoverability of past work, and reuse of work. So in, in immature organizations, everyone's constantly kind of reinventing the wheel. You know, uh, new projects start and they, there's a bunch of duplication of effort. As you get more and more mature, the different assets that data scientists have made, whether those are building blocks of analysis or particular reusable algorithms or entire reusable models are factored and searchable and discoverable in a way that they can be reassembled like Lego blocks. And that lets companies go a lot faster. The third dimension, and there are five here, so this is three of five, is oh, around fine, yeah. the basically analytics um, agility. And that gets at what we were talking about a second ago in terms of flexibility of tools and infrastructure to use. So, you know, is every data scientist working on their desktop with, you know, one certified version of Python that IT has installed? Or can data scientists get access to GPUs, burst compute, you know, experiment with the latest cutting edge open source technologies, those sorts of things? The fourth dimension is, is breadth and depth of impact. And that's, um, is data science work done in a way where it sort of produces like a, it answers a question, it, you know, it's a report you send to someone versus is it producing model-driven products that actually get integrated into the business processes and automate decision-making? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's, that's cool. And then I know this is a long answer, but then the final answer is, is organization. The final dimension is organizational cohesion. And organizational co cohesion is, again, it's another one of these things we were talking about a minute ago, is data science organizationally its own silo. You know, it's sort of off in a corner. It's doing things it wants to work on versus it's enmeshed and integrated into core business priorities and, and business departments. So, you know, the five dimensions, structured process, discoverability and compounding of knowledge, analytics, speed and agility, breadth and depth of impact, and then organizational cohesion. And each of those evolves uh, as companies mature. Yeah. And I know that the, the kind of sharing of, of, you know, sort of what's worked and being able to use different tools, obviously, that's a lot of dominoes, you know, your guys value prop there, right? So that's the part that you right. guys can kind of emphasize. I think on the you know, on our side, market research, you know, heads of innovation, heads of strategy, the cultural sort of, you know, leadership elements might even be a little bit more emphasized. But having those five dimensions in mind, I think is a really useful tool just to think like, like you said, it's not linear five develop five, five phases, it's sort of, hey, you know, we can think about how mature are these different portions that might move us along. So that's a cool way to, to yeah. think about it. I actually just downloaded the paper in the background. So. Oh, good. Yeah, great. Yeah, great. great. Yep. Excellent. Well, hey, Nick, I know that's all we had for time for this first interview, but I, I really appreciate the lens on phases and sort of uh, a more robust view on the topic. So thanks so much for sharing your expertise today. Absolutely. Thanks. So that's a wrap for episode four. Great to be able to catch up with Nick after all those years and after all their funds raised and the lessons that they've learned throughout. I hope that you can put some of Nick's rules of thumb for determining AI readiness to use in your business. If you're interested in more rules of thumb, that is to say frameworks and infographics for AI best practices in the enterprise, be sure to check out Emerge Plus. That's E-M-E-R-J dot com slash P1. That's P as in plus 
and then the number one. That's our complete library of AI best practice guides and use cases, in addition to our white paper library. So whether you want to download all of our PDF briefs and executive guides on use cases in different sectors, or whether you want simple frameworks to measure ROI and compose a strategy, we've taken the insights we've drawn from global leaders like the ones that you listen to on this program and distilled them down into actionable insights that enterprise leaders can use. From Verizon to Bristol-Myers Squibb to Wells Fargo and beyond, we have Emerge Plus members within some of America's best-known enterprises, and we hope that maybe you'll join us in there as well. We have a private Slack community for our Emerge Plus members as well, so if you do join, make sure to post in the introduction section, and you'll get to meet some of the other members there. So that wraps things up. I hope you'll join us tomorrow in the final episode of our five-part series here, where we'll interview a leader from Intel to bring a big company perspective to the topic of AI maturity and culture change within the enterprise. So I look forward to catching you tomorrow, and thanks so much for listening in.